0: Yesterday we got a chance to speak about the potential changes we might envision or you know have um, a vision for the future of Slack uh, using machine learning to make kind of improvements to their platform and today we are tackling the New York Times app.
1: Yes. And Would I'm a like- big fan of this app and the New York Times in general.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, maybe you should start by doing some introduction because I will have to admit that I am not a user of the New York Times app typically. And they're not even like really a main paper for me. They're not maybe in, mm, yeah. maybe in part as a resistance to all of the East Coast dominance of news. <laughs> but I, I don't rely too heavily on the New York Times. But I will say that I just yeah. this morning very coincidentally learned that, and this is like a PSA, with a Los Angeles County Public Library card, you can get a free subscription to all sorts of news outlets, including the Washington Post and the New York Times.
1: That is wild. That's very impressive. A digital subscription? Yeah,
0: exactly. So I'm planning on signing up for that. Wow.
1: Yeah. Well, I am really excited to talk about the New York times. Um, not only because I like the New York times specifically and I like their writing and I follow their news, but as an example of kind of journalism in general, because I think that, you know, obviously journalism is going through a big transition. Um, and you know, from, from this whole like print world now to digital. And I honestly think it's such an incredible opportunity for journalism to, thrive and continue to live on because it's, it seems to me, it's so much easier to monetize, um, and, and therefore kind of provide news, um, you know, because having a digital platform, one, you're able to get more insights from your audience. You're able to learn what they're actually reading, what they're enjoying, what they're not reading through so much more about their behavior. Um, and then also you're able to advertise, So I think that that, this new world of digital journalism is hopefully a way that journalism can continue to sort of live on and will not die off.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because they, as an industry, went through this crisis mode, I think, with the advent of all the online news uh, because Mm -hmm. it suddenly seemed like it was devaluing what they did and was draining them of eyeballs and therefore their traditional advertising dollars. And it seems like we've maybe started to hit a new normal where, where there, there's like a new equilibrium it's at play. Because as you say, now, I think instead of it being this great existential threat to newspapers, at least the ones that survived, and I guess that's a big caveat lot, so many news outlets, mm-hmm. especially smaller ones, right. just don't exist anymore. But for the ones that survived the, you know, the expectation and tolerance level for a for for gated content, for you know the stuff that you have to pay to view is clearly there, and so now there's there's more of a norm where it's not expected that you know high quality journalism from reputable sources is just going to be free, and then yeah, the advertising piece of it, the the ability to sort of turn on its head the digital the the the, the issues of of being a digital paper, you know, going from the the problems of it being you know seemingly you know, squished, squeezing out. Papers and not leaving them with their audience to now being like, no, 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 papers are actually these tremendous holders of digital data. And machine learning is interesting because I think, as we'll discuss now, and I'm curious to hear sort of what some of your ideas are for how they could be using machine learning. But it struck me as I was thinking about it exactly sort of along the lines of what you were saying, which is, you know, they are actually well positioned to take advantage of some really potentially valuable data and insights to monetize that in a way that makes their work very sustainable, I would assume. And, you know, mm-hmm. who would have guessed not too many years ago, you know, I think newspapers would have told you that they were the victims of all of this. And I think that it turns out that they'll have actually done, if they, you know, if they're able to leverage it, they'll, they'll do quite well for themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the first idea that I had was actually more for like the journalists who kind of are behind the app, um, I guess, and providing the news. It, My idea was kind of a a breaking news map. Um, because I was thinking about all the data that they probably have about breaking news. Likely, you know, they have a ton of like historical data. When did it happen? Um, what was the online chatter before it happened? Um, what were some previous news stories? Like, what were the circumstances around other breaking news? What, what is the, the buzz on local news channels? I mean, there's just like a mass of information that, goes into kind of like predicting when a breaking story will happen. Um and I'm sure that like journalists also bring a ton of intuition to mm-hmm. those situations. That, I mean, experienced journalists like we kind of have a sense for when breaking news will happen. And so that intuition built with built into models with tons of data that just like humans are not capable of scouring, um uh I think would help them forecast where um where they would need to be for breaking news and to be able to report it and then i think that that would enhance the app because obviously you know we're i'm staring at the app you know if breaking news happens i want to know uh and so that would you know make me as a subscriber much more um It's kind of happy with the app, I think.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, speaking of monetization, like one thing that I have thought about in other products a lot, um, that you could almost see a tool like the New York times and other news based apps that are, you know, highly technical, you know, selling to other companies is basically a news. I can imagine them serving as almost like a data input for other models too. So like, I'll give you an example. Like when we built the call time app, Uh, in our previous company, one of the things we always imagined we might include in that app, and for context, for those listening who don't know, it's a fundraising tool that political campaigns use to manage their fundraising outreach, and it relied in part on machine learning to help evaluate who the right targets were as far as people to solicit and for what amounts at what time. Um, One of the things we always imagined doing in the future that we never got to before selling that company was Uh, including some sort of news feed for a potential donor. And that alone, you know, just to let the the campaign see a a local news feed, you know, so before you call someone, you kind of know if there's any kind of relevant local stories. But beyond that, the machine learning potential was really high. We thought if we could find a way to standardize or borrow from a data set that was already standardized to use that to make predictions about when someone would be primed and ready to be solicited. So like, if there are major news stories that seem to, of a certain type, align with a certain Mm. political giving practice of a donor, then you might predict that those similar news stories occurring in the future or whatever combination of news stories um, may lead someone to be more especially interested. Some of it's rather intuitive, right? If someone seems to have have a political giving pattern or other indicators that suggest that whenever like abortion is in the news that they are fired up and interested in making donations, Mm. then maybe whenever abortion's in the news, you know, that like, that's maybe a very simple model, but there could be much more complex ones. Right. And presumably there are complex things in the news Mm. and what's in the, especially these days as, as, you know, political questions are, and, and news in general is so national, right. In part because those smaller news outlets have kind of gone out of business for the most part. It really does seem like what's happening in the national news could be a data point that is meaningful to other industries and to other um, products. So it wasn't, I hadn't even really thought of that before you mentioned it. And it isn't on my list, but like a sort of tangential way that the New York Times app could potentially use machine learning is actually just to sell itself as a data input into other people's models for anyone who's thinking that sort of whatever the national news and national mood is, is relevant to whatever it is they're
1: trying to predict. Right. Yeah, that's so interesting. And especially I think recalling call time is interesting because like um, you know, using a machine learning model there, supplying news potentially in, in a news feed type type format, I think that really exemplifies like what I think is kind of the sweet spot with artificial intelligence and machine learning, which is like automation and human interaction. Or automation that informs yeah. human interaction. I think that that's really the sweet spot. It's like humans can do so many incredible things, but often we're so bogged down in work that can be automated. And so what happens if you automate those really mundane processes and then you get to do your magic on top of that? Obviously that's a very, you know, um, idealistic version because I know automation is often talked about as replacing people's jobs, but I think that, you know, it's worth at least acknowledging that there is an upside, you know, to automation, to making people's jobs better and more efficient, hopefully.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, uh, maybe segues a little bit into one of my, so I, I kind of focused on two major ones that I thought were like, Mm -hmm. one was very like external facing kind of feature that I imagined a user might find value out of. So if you were trying to sell you know, subscriptions to the New York Times app, um, or digital subscription and, and telling them, oh, the app can do X, Y, or Z, like, what would that be? So that was one of them. And then the other one was like, what are sort of internal kind of tools that they, that the New York Times may be able to use with machine learning kind of akin more to your, um, to your, your, your first example. But, um, so I'll start with the external facing one. Cause actually kind of, speaks a little bit to what you're saying about like, well, automation, you know, kind of allowing humans to do what humans do best. Um, and, and I think that in this case, like what I imagined was one of the things that I love to do when I'm, you know, reading news or even when I'm just scrolling through social media, you know, unrelated to news is I like to share in like a direct message, um, something that I find with like one person at a time. And I use that kind of both. I'm just like interested in sharing to get their feedback and their thoughts. And I think that they would like it, but I also kind of use it as a way to stay in touch with people, frankly, like who I don't necessarily talk to on a daily basis, but like this story made me think of you. And, and it gives me an opportunity to like essentially show them that I was thinking about them so that they know they were on my, you know, on my mind. And just as like often a nice starting point to like kick off a conversation with someone maybe I haven't talked to in a while. And so I like doing that. It's like kind of the one of the ways that I like thinking about, you know, my content as I'm, as I'm consuming it. But I felt like the New York Times app has all this valuable insight about all of these users who are signed in, you know, and, and usually signed in through a Google account or something. So that you're getting like a really robust, complete picture of this person and maybe even activities they're doing off of the New York Times app. And there's probably some great then indications about the kinds of content that they, you know, would like. Um, as evidenced by you know, the streams of feeds where like, oh, this content is recommended to you. Um, you know, we recommend that you might like this or maybe when you get push notifications about a news story that the New York Times thinks you're particularly interested in. So we kind of know that the New York Times is already interested in trying to figure out the sort of content you're going to like, predicting that, and then serving you more of that content. That's probably sort of a given. But I thought like an interesting twist on that might be to, to help me share content to my friends that they may like <laughs> so maybe like if i'm interested in a story and i want to share it when i hit the share button or maybe even before i hit the share button it just has like a little note at the bottom that says like hey we think your friend so and so you know which means obviously you'd have to make the new york times uh, vi- you know, visible into your contacts which you know Frankly, most people already do without knowing it. Right. Um, you know, and say, like, hey, you know, like your friend so and so may like this. And then it just sort of like gives you an impetus to say, well, okay, one click, let me share it with that person. Um, you know, hey, I thought you might like this. And so, you know, I think to to kind of speak a little bit to your point is like, you know, letting humans still, you know, I, I think it shows you it's like the fine line and how that fine line moves in the, Face of artificial intelligence because on the one hand I, I sort of see the ickiness of letting a computer start to do that sort of like friendship <laughs> you know activity that, that a human would do but on the other hand it's like well but that's not really the, at least not for me that's not really the core of the activity the core of the activity is the engagement and letting it you letting it serve as a start to something more fruitful and interesting and the actual like kicking off point like letting some level of machine learning automation inform that so that it is faster more accurate and you know, less of a burden on me to be doing that, uh, you know, myself, that all seems like, well, that would be great. That'd be great. If as I was reading, it was sort of giving me a sense of who in my network might also appreciate what I'm, what I'm reading in that moment.
1: Yeah. And I think your motivation behind that is so relatable.
0: Well, and it's interesting because it sort of p- points back at like the, the these like, uh, I don't sure ethical is the right word, but just sort of like the conundrum of, of having machines be more and more part of our lives is like, does it, does it make it any less meaningful? Like when, when I, or you send that article saying like, Oh, I thought you would like this. If actually yeah. it's not really that I thought you'd like this. It's that a machine learning model thought you would like this. And I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm just passing that on. And yeah. like, you know, I think everyone will draw their own lines and I'm sure their lines will change over time as we become more or less comfortable with this technology. But like, for me again, like, no, because the, that's not what makes that interaction meaningful. The the The, the desire to make the connection is what makes it meaningful. The ability to have something that kicks off like a more, uh, some, some, some sort of follow-up conversation, like all of those things are the part that's valuable. And, and, and the actual article that's shared, like is in some ways irrelevant. You could probably send any old article to him and he would appreciate that, you know, the thought, but it just increases the, the sort of quality of it. If it's actually an article that he really would like, (laughs) you know, so it's like, might as well start from a place where everyone is like a little bit better off and happy. And, and to my mind, that doesn't undermine sort of the, the sort of human quality of it. But of course, I'm sure there are people who think very differently about that, you know?
1: Yeah. And before I move on to the next one, I'll just add that recommendations when it comes to the news are definitely very tricky because, um, you know, it's really helpful. And I love, you know, when they recommend articles that I do end up reading, but, you know, we've heard, I've heard so many stories about, you know, like Facebook and how they, you know, they really tailor your newsfeed to what they think you would like. And then all of a sudden you have society with like entirely different worldviews because they're just literally seeing a different world every day than, than a different person. Um, so it definitely, yeah, it definitely does have limitations and and concerns when it comes to the news.
0: It's totally, it's totally true. And it almost makes me, and this is kind of why I was like tickled by this variation on like, oh, well, you know, maybe it's not that we recommend this to you, but we recommend this to someone, you know, is you could imagine, I mean, I don't know how you do this. And, and and I don't know even if this really is, is so much a machine learning question. I'm sure to some degree it is, but like you could imagine potentially using this kind of model as a way to get out of silos, you know, where it's like, hey, maybe this is something that we think someone would like Mm. um, based upon all their activity and the things they consume and whatever other inputs we're evaluating, demographic data, you know, you name it. But maybe it's like, they're not otherwise going to really see it in their feeds. Like it's not actually the stuff they usually read. Um, We have other reasons to think they may benefit from it. Um, but we don't necessarily... It's not necessarily the just stuff they're reading every single day. Um, and so giving someone the opportunity to basically put that in front of them in a more direct way than just dropping it into their feed and hoping that somebody else sees it. Who knows? Like you could imagine, again, sort of pretty abstract here. So I'm not exactly sure how you would do it. But you could imagine using that as a strategy to some degree to get around the sort of silos because now someone who... Is in your network, whose name you recognize, who maybe you trust and value is sending you a personal message that says, Hey, I thought you might like this. And then who knows, maybe you're exposed to something you wouldn't otherwise have been exposed to.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have a few, I have a few other ideas, but actually one idea that I, I didn't have a chance to flesh out um, a lot before this call, because I just kind of came upon it right as we were getting ready to talk, but I was kind of excited about it. Um, was obviously translation, because I don't know how many um, languages the New York Times is in right now. I also know that like many countries or many areas don't have access to the internet and don't consume, you know, digital news in the way that like, you know, I, maybe I do. Um, but there are so many different languages out there that I can't imagine that they are in all the languages for all the people who would be willing to read the New York Times. Um, so I think machine learning um, and, you know, um, natural language processing um, are great tools to better access those, um, those languages and those people.
0: Yeah, and it probably will be something we can talk about in greater depth even on another call because it's probably warrants its own conversation. But like, I've been fascinated by the use of machine learning to in 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 um, translations because it's totally changed the way I even think about what language is, you know, as data. Because Mm. uh, I think one of the things, like for instance, that I see is is as i am typing in my you know gmail account and google is making sort of recommendations about what the rest of my sentence should be you know and 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 letting me just like use ai to type my email out um, it's sort of reinforced this new way of thinking about language i think that machine learning has inspired in me which is that it really is just prediction that's all it is right it's just It's just predicting what the next word in the sentence is going to be, which is so different than pre-machine learning translation tools, which were about like word-for-word meaning conversions. And the the consequence of that is that like, you know, growing up, if you tried to use a language dictionary to make a translation, if you were like in Spanish class or French class or whatever in like middle school or high school, like that was pretty useless, you know, because... Word for word is very often missing, you know, everything, right? Like the, the syntax of sentences from one language to the next are so different, especially depending on what language yeah. you're going from and to, that like you can't just go word, 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 word down the line of the sentence. You just get something that makes, some, you know, makes almost no sense in most cases. And maybe you can mm-hmm. kind of fumble about and figure it out, but you certainly don't sound like a fluent speaker and you certainly aren't communicating like somebody who, is, you know, who can speak that language if all you're doing is, is just trying to say, well, what does this word mean in another or like how, you know, what is this word in another language? But if instead, you think of it as like, no, as people are talking, what usually comes next in the sentence based upon what has come before it in the sentence? And that's the way you think about language construction. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, you're able to make your way through an entire sentence, you know, uh, fluently. And I think, yeah, it's just that that has totally changed the game for so many tools and applications. But yeah, I think you're right. News is an obvious one for it.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. And I, I do think it probably warrants like a, a full other conversation. Cause I'm remembering that article that you sent me recently about, um, I think it was textless NLP. And that article was really fascinating because it talked about some of the challenges with um, NLP and training the model and how for English we're so lucky because I mean, lucky. And then we also have a lot of challenges, of course, with bias and lots of curse words on the internet and racism, but for English, we have so much of the English language on the internet. Um, and that's not true. For example, like in Rwanda where they speak Kinyarwanda, there's not, there's not a lot of Kinyarwanda on the internet. So training a language model, um, on Kinyarwanda is very difficult. Uh, so that's one challenge that I think that they're trying to overcome with textless NLP.
0: Yeah. So interesting. Well, I have one more and then I'll turn it back to you. But My one more is uh, that it, it kind of an internal tool and it speaks to the monetization, um, aspect that you, that you opened with. So I should also note that like, I certainly, I don't, I don't use the New York times app, uh, very frequently, as I mentioned at the top and I, and I certainly don't know what kind of technology goes into it on the back end. So for all I know, I could be describing something that they currently do, <laughs> but, um, But one thing that occurs to me that Mm -hmm. they have probably an advantage of given how much you can probably understand about somebody by the news that they consume um, and the way that they engage with that with that news. We haven't really talked about it on this call, but like, and I guess maybe I should take a step back. Like I sort of take for granted that the kinds of data they have available to them at, at least are sort of what stories they're interacting with how deep into the stories they're scrolling, any clicks they make within the story, um, how long they stay on particular stories, uh, You know how quickly after a, a notification they get about a story, they open it up and read that story. And then like I assume those stories are to some degree tagged, um, hopefully pretty robustly so that the stories are labeled in, in meaningful ways. But at the very least, we know if we scroll to the bottom of stories, they have some sort of classification system that's visible to the end user like whether this appeared in the metro section or the food section, you know, those kinds of things. And then usually there's even like tags within it, like politics or like even individual people like Biden or something like that. So I sort of take for granted that at the very least they have all that input data. And then I assume because, again, they log in often with a Google account, that they have some even other supplemental data about that person that's associated with that account. But even just that input, even just the news content and the sort of pattern of consumption itself, I would assume is pretty darn indicative of the kind of role someone plays professionally. Um, not always, but I think there might be a lot of indicators mm. about sort of like what you do for a living um, and what kind of information is valuable to you, and maybe even at what level of position you are within your building. Like, are you C-suite? Are you director level? Are you sort of um, entry level? Even that, I would imagine there's some correlations and some sort of indications within your, those behaviors that, that a machine learning model could probably pick up on. Again, just my guess, but that's kind of my intuition there. And if that is true, then I would think that being able to sell advertising space on your platform is obviously super valuable. We know that. you know, they They, they are able to sell online ad space pretty well. But you might be able to sell even more of it and add a premium if you could target those ads within your platform to users, you know, specifically based on the kind of persona that you think they are, um, as far as like their buying persona. So that if you're a tool, if you're a company that's trying to target like director level, uh, employees of kind of tech companies that being able to find those people who are on the New York Times app might actually be possible because maybe those kinds of people, director level tech company people, are, you know, reading certain kinds of tech stories more frequently or interacting with certain kinds of business related stories. You know, who knows what what, what it is, but that that you'd probably be able to sell that ad space for a premium if you were able to kind of, you know, more or less guarantee that you were going to be putting the ads in front of people who are like the right people for whatever that company is trying to sell in those ads. So that was kind of a long-winded way of describing basically that I think a very classical machine learning problem is classification. And right now, as I've talked to marketers at lots of companies, classification happens very, very crudely and often through these very like sort of clumsy rules-based systems where it's like, if someone takes this action or does this thing or goes to this website, we think that they are a decision maker. Um, Otherwise, we don't think they're a decision maker. Or if they do this, they do this, they do this. We think maybe they work in marketing. If they do this, they do this, they do this. We think they work in IT. And they're very sort of, again, assumption based, rule based. Um, and therefore probably, you know, missing a lot of nuance and inaccurate a lot of the time. And, and in some cases, very laborious, you know, in a lot of t- cases, there's a lot of like human intervention to like mm-hmm. kind of clean those things up. But to use machine learning to say, Hey, we know all this about this person and we're going to automatically classify them into these different groups. Decision maker, you know, C suite decision maker, IT, marketing, sales, whatever the different classifications are that would be interesting to someone who wanted to market on the New York Times app. You could see that being a huge competitive advantage for a tool, New York Times or otherwise to say, Hey, yeah, we have all this really rich data we're able to use machine learning to cl- to use that data to classify our users into these different market you know marketing segments and then we can sell you ad space that only targets those segments so that you're not you know you're not wasting your your ad dollars on people who fall outside of your targets
1: yeah and i think that that's really ideal for two reasons one i think that like um, one sort of precondition for whether or not something would be a good machine learning problem is sort of the amount of, of data and the amount of variables. And this is something where there are a lot of different variables. And then also there's like, is the problem open-ended, for example, like, will reasoning about and organizing things, will you have to organize things that aren't created yet. And I think when we talk about like roles and the workforce in a way, like there are so many new jobs and new titles being created overnight. For example, like new softwares are being created that are like creating new professions. And so you have a lot of like, you know, CEO, CMO, these like classical roles. But I mean, as you have new and different titles, you know, gig workers and things like that, taking all that data and being able to classify things as new variables come in, um, that's really useful. And that's something I think machine learning can do really well. Yeah. Um, and so I'll just mention one other that I had on my mind briefly. Um, and it's funny because it's also a classification one. Uh, but mine was classifying articles. And I think that you've kind of given a lot of, um, explanation around kind of classification and like how it can be beneficial. Um, but just sort of to recap and why I think like it would be useful for articles is like, In the same way with these role types, um, with articles and with categories, you have um, classic ones, which are like, you know, international news, um, health, technology, all these things. But like articles have so many different topics within them. Take, for example, these articles recently about like Mexico and abortion. That's international news. But could it also be health? Could it also be uh, law and legal, um, articles. So figuring out a way to most accurately, most effectively categorize that so that someone looking for that type of article will find it, I think would be really useful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And of course we'll, we'll save it for another day, I think, but the, uh, the, like, even machine learning models are not, uh, you know, they're not impervious to kind of change over time, right? So, like, the idea of retraining um, and the need to retrain over time and, like, how do you do that? How do you do that efficiently so that it's not like you're having to recreate the wheel every time? But, of course, like, there's, there, there will come a time in every model's journey where it's taking in data sources that are not, um, it just can't make sense of, right? Like, its previous understanding of the world is just too different and being able to like create a continuous, a, a system yeah. of continuous learning for the machine learning model is, is a really interesting challenge, but I, we'll, we'll, we'll save that for another day.
1: Yeah. Well, cool. Um, it was fun to talk about one of my favorite apps today.
0: <laughs> it was, I, I enjoyed it as well, even as a sort of a newbie to it. And uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation tomorrow.
1: Great. All right. Bye, Andrew. Bye.